We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. Oh my gosh, and I cannot wait. I'm a Star Wars nerd beyond belief, and uh, we're going to talk a lot of fun things today. So I'm excited to welcome the program from a brave new world, Alden Ehrenreich. Hey, Alden, thanks for calling, and I appreciate you coming on. We remember you as Solo and all those different things, but we're going to talk about Brave New World as well. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Let's talk really quickly about the experience of being Han Solo. I mean, when I think about one of my favorite characters and how cool it was, that experience must have been mind-blowing to be able to be chosen to play him. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, on every level, you get to uh, fly the Falcon, you get to walk, you know, hang out with Chewbacca. Doing all those things was uh, pretty pretty mind-blowing. And you know what's amazing is that I loved it so much, and I guess after when it got released, after it left the theaters, it's done really well, hasn't it? Congrats on the award as well that you won. You, you were blown away by after that process how people have really taken to this film. Yeah, it really, you know, it's a film, you know, I think it's a film that had a lot of expectation on it in the sense that when you hear there's like a Han Solo movie, everybody has in their head uh, a version of what that movie is or what they would want it to be. And so I think like from, from my eye, what happened sort of is that the movie came out and it, it took a little while for people to sort of see it as its own movie. Um, and you know, and I, I'm really, uh, uh, grateful that there's, there's a, a really strong love for the movie, you know, and, and especially kids, especially talking to like little kids who, who've liked it. That's the most exciting to me. You played such a great solo. I mean, honestly, and when you think about a character and just how you could just really live through that character and, uh, and and again, uh, just the process of the story just really filled in a lot of the gaps as Star Wars nerds, as people that just love the whole Star Wars process from beginning to end. It really filled the gaps, I thought. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right, so let's talk. Is there a chance? Can you say anything? I saw something, something on that there could be a solo too. Is there a chance? Or can you say anything at this point? That was from one of my podcast friends that came to me and asked me if I could ask that question. Sure. No, I, I don't really know. I, I, I doubt there'll be a, a solo two in the traditional like sequel sense, but you know, they're, they're figuring out what they're doing in the star Wars universe. They're finding interesting new ways to tell those stories. So we'll see, you know, I, the, the door is still open. Well, the door needs to be open, and there definitely needs to be a series also. I'm hoping for the Disney series to kind of go that way. Now let's talk about A Brave New World. And I think that anytime Alden, you've hit the jackpot when you put something that already has a built-in fan base of this book. So I watched the trailer, absolutely blown away. So tell us a little about Brave New World and how it's related on a book. So it really kind of... And I think with the coronavirus, it really shows the world we're living in and how it's changed just six months ago, how we were living, traveling and everything. Yeah, you know, it's, it's such a wonderful story. It's a, it's a story that's really uh, inventive and what Aldous Huxley envisioned for our future was so prescient. It's uh, a tale of 
people who are living in a society where all anything uncomfortable or any kind of negative emotions have been outlawed and um you know people take pills all the time to to keep their levels up and to always stay happy and uh you get this character of john who comes into this world and starts shaking it up who's coming from a place called the savage land where he doesn't have any of those things or that conditioning and he starts uh, screwing with everything and upsetting the status quo yeah and that's kind of a character you like to play right upsetting the status quo of what was going on in a, a I, controlled world yeah i guess so that's right <laughs> and when you think about that this is the situation that we're that you get everything perfect everything in life is great with this pill everyone thinks the that everything's perfect right that they're living in fantasy world that everyone's beautiful everyone has no problems or anything through this created society right yeah yeah everybody's living in a ver in a kind of state sanctioned version of happiness that they're all told is the most important thing and I think, but I think everybody who's living in that society or most of the people in that society have all these feelings that they can't admit, that they can't bring forth into their life, that they can't express. Um, and that's what John sees and starts cracking open. <laughs> and that's not what the creators of this world want without giving away anything, just looking at the trailer. They don't want that to happen because then they lose control. A lot of times in societies, once you gain control of something, it becomes the new normal. I'm not trying to make any uh, statements and that we're all used to doing something like this and then we all conform most of society. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they want that control and to retain control over the people. Yeah. Tell me about the, the rest of the cast and some of their other characters that are around you in this. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the strongest casts I've ever worked with. It's, um, you know, a, a group of actors who were so dedicated and committed to their characters and brought so much to it. And it was just like such a pleasure to, to be working with all of them. Oh, it was definitely in, in the process. And what John has to deal with is everyone else just wants to rebel against John. Preparing for that character... Did you end up reading the book before, uh, after you got the job, to understand more about your? Yeah, I read the book. I, I I never read it actually, and I just found it so uh, captivating. Seems like that's when that's a kind of situation where you find something that you pick up and you say to yourself, "Hey, this is interesting." And I love this kind of stuff in the sci-fi world. And based on what year was this considered the? the uh show like what are like this is like looks futuristic in a lot of ways uh, do they have a time stamp on this of when it was no there's not an exact time stamp but it's like um you know probably around like i don't know i actually don't know the answer to that uh it's 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 a future the world you see in the film which is in the series which you you see an incredible, uh, they did such an amazing, amazing job of building out. You know, you can see the traces of our world now. I think that's one thing they did that's really cool. Is it's not just like full-on sci-fi, completely different, everything's different. 
it's all organic. You can see that this is a world human beings might create for themselves uh, based on where we're at now, which I think is a much cooler way to do it. Another thing I'm thinking about with the pill, I think about the matrix. I'm sure you thought about that when you saw the pill as well, right? With the matrix and what's... Uh, but that's a great call. <laughs> I'm a huge Matrix fan too, but I, see, that's what I like, the connection of sci-fi and reality and the reality of the coronavirus. How how have you been holding up with the coronavirus for your fans and stuff? Uh, what have you been doing? Have you picked, uh, picked up a new skill or what have you been doing? Well, I wrote uh, a film that I'm going to direct when this is over that I've been... Uh, it's a, a kind of medium length movie. It's not a full uh, feature, but uh, that uh, I'm going to, you know, uh, direct. So I've been in pre-production on that. I've been, uh, which has been really wonderful. And I've been um, doing a lot of Zoom game nights, you know, with friends. <laughs> what kind of games? We play... Mafia. We play uh, a game called the Book Game, which is uh, you read the first set. You read the first. No, what is it? You read the back of a book, uh, and then everyone has to write what they think the first sentence might be, and you get a vote. You get a point if you get if people vote that you yours is the one, and you get a point if you guess the real one. Um, and code names. <laughs> wow! And so. Who would have thought you'd get to be playing games on Zoom and that was going to be your life till this pandemic's over? And I hope it's over soon for all of us as performers so we can go out and meet face-to-face and someday meet face-to-face in person. I'm a six foot ten former professional wrestler, and I want to shout out to Bubba Brewer for going ahead and asking the question about Solo 2. And we'll find all those things out, but everyone needs to tune into A Brave New World on the Peacock Network. It's available now streaming, right? Is that correct? Uh, for yeah, yep. it's available today. It's available today, and everyone needs to check it out. And best place we can connect with you, social media. Where where can we go? All. Uh, I don't have any social media, so <laughs> no work. So you so you got to go on Zoom, go live, do game night, and then you can promote yourself. Just do games, play video games. There was there's this one metal group. Get that's what they do is they go and play video games for their fans. And just to have them all streamed together oh. live. Yeah, it's a pretty cool idea. All right. Well, I appreciate you calling. Best of luck. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks. All right. So bye-bye. You're, Go you're ahead. Six foot ten professional wrestler. Yes. Six foot ten pro wrestler, former, might make a comeback, 47 years old, but I'm not making a comeback till the pandemic's over. When the pandemic's over, I'll, I'll start training now. Uh, I'll be ready. And we'll see. Awesome. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks again. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. You'll listen to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show here on the Total Media Network's Caregiver Dave celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program, Caregiver Dave. Dave, how are you? This guest I could keep on for hours because every time I've just talked off air with him, I've just been blown away of his knowledge. That's why it's C-suite. Someone who's run companies, you want, you wish you could spend, I wish I could spend hours taking them out to lunch, learning certain things. That's how you become a successful entrepreneur, Dave. So we have with us Jeffrey Hazlett. I'm so, I hope I'm saying that right. No stranger to running a successful business after 
Uh, he was former CMO of Kodak. His expertise has led him to be featured on BBC, MSNBC, Fox Business, and even hosting C-Suite with Jeffrey Hazlett on Bloomberg TV. And he was uh, also judge on Celebrity Apprentice. Wow, for three seasons. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Good to be here. And Neil, by the way, if you want to take me out to lunch and you're buying, I'll go anytime, brother. Anytime. <laughs> so, so that's the that's the thing. How are you yeah, holding up? With we want to buy lunch. We want to meet people. Jeff, how's yeah. that kind of kind of put a damper COVID? You know, used to being always it, you know a little bit, but you got to be innovative. I mean, so for instance, uh, in our C-suite network, you know, what have I been doing? Doing salons. What's that mean? I'm hosting Scotch events every single Sunday. I'm hosting cocktail parties two or three times a week and I'm just shipping the wine to somebody so there's nothing that says you can't do it differently just because we used to get together and I used to drink my scotch with you face to face now I can do it you know over a zoom call or a video call and we can still get business done you know the key thing is for almost everybody don't sit on your ass don't sit back okay you got to drive and thrive I, I I'm not a doctor I'm not a nurse I can't even sew a freaking mask, but what I can do is help people. I'm a business first responder. And so let's look at the problems in a different way. Let's don't look at them as, oh my gosh, I'm never going to make my 1K on United again or, or you know, global. Instead, why don't we find another way to do business? And that's the way I look at things. All right, Dave, first yeah, question. You know, that age old discussion, uh, are entrepreneurs born or are they raised? Uh, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Because basically you're an executive. And did yeah. you grow up thinking that you would be an executive? I always grew up thinking I was going to be something big, whatever that was. And so in each of my reiterations of inventing myself, I continue to do that. I, yeah, so I think it's, in, it's in, in you. Do I think you can learn it? Yeah, I think you can learn it. I'm an entrepreneur, there's no doubt about it. You know, I, when I went to a, a clinic, my wife was about fed up with me for so long because I'm a workaholic, you know, it's just worse than an alcoholic because an alcoholic, they'll take it away at work. They just keep giving it to you. And so I went to a workshop, you know, in Malibu, one of those big famous places for workaholic, you know, it wasn't for workaholics, it was for alcoholics, drug, uh, 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 whatever. Addicts. Yeah, any addict or whatever. And so I'm sitting there in the back of the room. Of course, what am I doing? I'm figuring out the take. How many people, what's it cost for them to run through and thinking, hey, this is a good business. You know, that's my problem. I, but I, so I'm always thinking like that. I'm an entrepreneur. And uh, I think you're, I think a lot of it is born in, in terms of the people, but I do believe you can learn a great deal of it. Now, Jeff, you talk about, I mean, you started out as an executive in that <sighs> process. So tell me specifically, you say entrepreneur. Do you feel that executives or CEOs, uh, chief product officers, any of those major, you know, C-suite, they have to have an entrepreneurial mindset? No, no, not at all. In fact, most of them don't. I mean, they don't have an entrepreneurial bone in their body for a great deal of people mm. in those businesses. We, let's look at what an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur typically starts off as a one man or one woman band. And yep. then what they do is they, the next stage of that is they, mm. they add devout followers. And they're just grabbing people, whoever's close, their buddies, their friends, their sisters, mothers, you know, maybe wife or, or husband. And then, then the next stage of that is then to add the devout, you know, add the skilled technicians, the right kinds of people. And sometimes it can be that entrepreneur, but many times you see some of the entrepreneurs, you know, take a back seat and bring somebody else on with greater skill sets. And as a result, they do a better job. And, and that's what you have to kind of look at in, in, in that evolution of an entrepreneur is maybe you can make it. But typically when you get from this devout follower stage and you move to the skilled, these folks that were with you aren't going to make the next level. 
you know, because the, they just don't have that skill set. They're a great bookkeeper, but not a great CFO. A great, a great salesperson, but not a great chief revenue officer. A great, great communications person, but not a great strategic marketer. So, so you have to understand the realization of that in terms of business. You know, I bought and sold over 250 businesses in my career, over 25 billion in transactions. You know, I've done that repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. So, you know, so some of us do have some of that inherentness and can also scale to that level of running. You know, like when I was at Kodak, you know, I went from a three-person office to running a team of 7,500, 140,000 employees, 182 billion in, in total sales, and was running a marketing budget of 17 billion. That's more, more, more gross revenue than some state budgets of, of government, you know? So when you look at it like that, you just, you, you can learn those things, you can develop those things, but you know, at the core, you gotta be good at what you do. That's a great. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Uh, are all entrepreneurs leaders? Because what is a leader? A leader is somebody who people will follow. And not every entrepreneur is a leader, or am I wrong? No, I think for the most part, they have a vision of where they want to go. And so, from, and if they can paint that vision effectively, then they're a leader. If they can't paint the vision effectively, uh -huh. then they're always going to be a one person band, you know? Okay. And, and, and that's the big, that's the hard part uh, in being an entrepreneur. You know, an idea without implementation is just air. And I have so many people talk to me all the time. They got this, they got this, they got this. And I have to turn to them and say, you got nothing. Dude, until you get it sold, until you get people buying it on, on an ongoing basis, what you got is an idea, a hobby, you know, or a loss, you know. And so until you can take those next steps, because a lot of people talk about what they're going to do. And, and, but an entrepreneur, you know, I, overall, I think they are overall leaders if they can paint the vision and get other people to drink the Kool-Aid. And there, yeah. there's the key. Yeah. I see those guys in Shark Tank all the time. Yeah, well, and I, you know, I was originally asked to be the very first host of Shark Tank years ago when they first got really? that started. Of course, I, I, if I were in New York right now, I, I actually share an office with Damon John from Shark Tank. Oh, so wow. David's like my little brother. You might not know that. We're just different color and different sizes. <laughs> now, and see, the, it's interesting you talk about that development and running Kodak and stuff like that, but you say you're different but you use the word C-suite in a lot of your conversations and stuff like that. That's where when I interviewed you years ago and you were taught, you're, you were more, you know, really pushing to teach executives how to run businesses because you have that entrepreneurial mindset. Now, have you shifted that focus in a lot of ways since we first talked? No, it's the same. I mean, what's the, what's the role of a C-suite? Now, whether you're on Main Street in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I'm from, or you're on uh, Wall Street, you know, what's the difference between those businesses? Nothing. The only difference between those business, the businesses are the numbers of zeros behind their numbers. Same processes, same kinds mm -hmm. of things they need to do. Quite frankly, same people, you know, that are running those businesses. They're humans. So what our, jo our job in a C-suite, our job is a business leader at an executive level. When you talk about the C-suite, even if it's a small business of, of a few million dollars to mm -hmm. billions of dollars, that, you know, anyone that's a VP or higher, that's in the C-suite, okay. right? Even at a small business, that's the chief executive officers of that business. They just call themselves a VP. As you get bigger, there's, there's more C's than, than V's. So um, there's still a lot of V's. But our job, Neil, is to be the most strategic person in the room. 
Now, a lot of times everyone thinks we have to be the smartest people, but we're not. Trust me, look around. If you go look at some of the C-suites and if you look even small businesses to big businesses, although I do find more small businesses a lot smarter than the bigger ones, okay? I do find leaders in small businesses. And why? Because they got to eat. You know, they depend on it. And if they they don't make the numbers that month, Hey, hey, the kids aren't getting shoes. We're not putting groceries on the table. The payroll's not getting met. Whereas in a bigger business, they, you know, they can move past that and they get a little bit more esoteric. And you typically see that a lot. And but when, you know, but by and large, our job's to be the most strategic person in the room. And that's what we should be doing as a leader. Always be looking and playing the chess game, you know, moves ahead. That whether you're a small business or a big business, and whether you're a small C-suite or a big C-suite, whether you're B, V-level, vice president, or you're a C-level, you want to make sure that you're being the most strategic person in the room. I do. Yeah. Well, tell me, tell me how Kodak fell into your lap, and how you went from uh, just coming into the company to becoming the CMO. Well, when so I was um, in the printing industry for a number of years, and so. And so in the graphic arts, visual communications, some level marketing of some kind, sales and marketing at all time. And I had been consulting to Kodak and Xerox and people in that, in that industry for a while and um, was in the printing business. And I saw some technology and saw some things that Kodak was doing. Kodak, if you look at their expertise, even back then, they, they had material science and imaging science. They were really good at creating you know, products made from material science, so film, okay? But film was also an imaging science. So they had more patents, over 28,000 patents, just in imaging, just in imaging. I mean, I once joked that we should have an eye camera. Well, they had a patent for it. I once joked <laughs> that we should, have, uh, we should have smelly vision. We should have vision that you could, you know, pictures that you could smell, and that they had a patent on it. So no matter what you would think of, they had a patent on it. They, wow. They, 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 we should have, we should have, uh, you should be able to look at a photograph or look at an image and then tell what the person's net worth is based on what kind of shirts they wear or the, the picture that's behind you right now, Dave, I could tell you, you know, what geographical area you are. I mean, all these things, they had patents on all the stuff. Well, so what I saw was in the, uh, the, the, the intersection between those two. So I looked for companies. And so as I moved around the industry and I was at some very big uh, commercial printing operations, and I did a roll up of about 120 companies in one year. Later, that got taken over in a hostile takeover, a publicly traded company, a couple billion bucks. And so I left. And so after I left, I started looking for things that I could do. And I started looking for companies that you know, I could take to other companies. And I took about $2.5 billion worth of acquisitions to Kodak. And after I did that, when they said, it's time for you to come in. And so after I sold them about the fourth or fifth company, they said, Hey, it's time for you to start working with us. And so, and um, who wouldn't want to work with Kodak, one of the biggest brands in the world, you know, on the decline without question, but you know, it gave me a great opportunity It's probably the best, one of the best, and certainly if not the best opportunity I've ever had in my life. What is the future of Kodak, by the way? <laughs> well, I mean, they're about a $9 billion company throwing about $2 billion to the bottom line. So, you know, even though they went bankrupt about, uh, I left about 10 years ago. Um, and even though they went bankrupt about two years ago, they're still doing, uh, still very viable company. A lot of patents, a lot of intellectual property that's there. So, you know, I don't know about you, $9 billion per still pretty big company. Yeah, you think sure. the new leadership could take them to the next level and get them uh, back to what yeah. they were? 
Oh, absolutely. Without question. The, you know, the, the problem that Kodak had was the embracing of digital technology, right? I mean, without question. Now, that wasn't, you know, everybody said, well, they didn't see it That's coming. One thing well, they, they didn't saw have it. a patent for, right? <laughs> What's that? That's one thing they didn't have a patent for. Well, no, actually they did. They owned the digital patent for digital cameras and they pawned it off on Apple and many other companies. But yeah. what they did was, Dave, they tried to protect what they thought they were. So everybody at the time, the leadership of Kodak up in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, believed they were a film company. Now, they're never a film company. Here is the demise of the company. If you believe you're a film company, they were never a film company. They helped make, manage, and move images and information. That's what they did. Whether it was digital or, you know, a tangible product, film. But they got it in their head that they're a film company. So they, what they did was they did everything to protect the film. And so the hubris of their own success, which Jim Collins writes about it in his book about the decline of companies, chaos. And when you see these kinds of things, when people start to build moats around their businesses, they start to become under siege, like the knights of, of old, right? Like the kings of all these little fiefdoms. And so that's indeed what Kodak did. Rather than embracing digital, you know, in saying regardless of whether it's film or it's a digital camera, I mean, this phone that's sitting right here in front of me, this phone right here, they own the technology that goes wow. inside this phone. They, every camera that you saw there was a result of Kodak, but yet they let that go by, right? They let that out of their hands because they failed to realize. Think about it. We all knew Kodak moment. They were a very celebratory brand. They owned that, and they let that go. In fact, they actually let the trademark expire before I got there. Wow. I mean, that tells you the essence of who they were. So, and they've kind of snapped back into that still, even with the bankruptcy <clears throat> That's, a, I, that's the only criticism I still have of them is, is, you know, it was the most recognizable brand in the world. It was the most loved brand of the, in the world, in the world, right. more than Apple, more than any other brand, exactly. Kodak. And by the way, Kodak still has that emotion, that emotional piece. So why couldn't you have tied it to that? And they never had, they never had those discussions until a group of leaders got there about the same time I did. And that's why I came. And, but we didn't have enough, by then, man, I'm telling you, the, 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 the planes had already flown, you know, we didn't have exactly. enough runway. So uh, at that point, it was just like, you know, I'm walking around with lists of buildings going, you know, because we had hundreds of buildings going, you want one? You want one? I'll give you one. I'll give you a building. I mean, that's what we were doing. Uh, wow. in order, and we had our own electric, electricity plant. We had five fire, five fire uh, houses, you wow. know, fire stations on our property. I mean. The, 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 is, I could sit on the 17th floor on the, the tallest building in uh, Rochester and look north and everywhere I would look from here <laughs> to here, we owned. Oh my gosh. We owned. So, um, so when you think about that, just the <clears throat> overhead, the transformation of that, the implosion of buildings, the changing of the way that you had to do things, it was a massive target. And then on top of that, Dave, you're surrounded by all these captains of no, you know, who say, oh, we tried that before, or we're, or we're a film company, or it's not in the budget. You know, you know, I, I mean, I used to hear that crap all the time. And that it, it's tough to change that. And it's tough to, it's tough to transform a business right. when you believe your best days are behind you. And then that's the it's, interesting it's thing. 
Dave, I was going to jump right to this question. Uh, being an entrepreneur, but also working for a business at times, I see the differences in their thought process. If they you have a team of people, they say, they say no a lot. And I saw that I'm seeing that from an organization I'm working hand in hand with now that there's no, Oh, we can't do this. Or we don't know, want to do that. Uh, what did you learn from Kodak that you've taken on for your own businesses after that? If it's the right thing, don't, I don't care if they say no, I don't care. I'm going to do it. That right. was, you know, in essence, that's what I, my job was, you know, my, the CEO of Kodak at the time, uh, Antonio Perez used to say, don't let them absorb you. Don't, don't, don't let them be the cyberborg and absorb you. If they do that to you, I will miss you. You know, I will fire you. He, he told me that. He, I, he said, I'll still go shooting because he told me why we were going shooting one day. On Saturdays, we used to go uh, skeet shooting. And he, he said, I'll still go shooting with you. You'll still be my friend, but I'm going to fire you. And so I learned, I learned very quickly that there's a certain agenda that you need to drive and have to drive. And your job isn't to, you know, isn't to sit around and wait till you get everybody to get on board and you're at hundred percent, you get the number that you can get on and you go do it. That's your job. You know, it's, it's like, and I go to my own team today and I'll say, Hey, I need this in order to be successful. And they come back instead of saying here, they, they offer it to me here. And I'll say, why, why did you do that? I just told you I needed 100,000 registrants on this thing, and you're saying 50. Well, Jeff, it's not in the budget. Well, who the frick gave you a budget? I didn't give you a budget. I said, go get me 100,000. I didn't say 50,000. If I said 50,000, I would have asked you for 50,000. I didn't say 50. I said 100. So go get me 100. Now, and quite frankly, right now, go get me 125, because now you've really ticked me off, okay? <laughs> and now we're behind, and I'm going to need more, because you're sitting around here saying no. So your job is to go get me that. Now, and then you, you're, you're to tell me how. You're to tell me that it's, it's going to cost more than you think it is. It's going to cost an acquisition cost of this, or it's going to take this much time. Okay, fine. Tell me. Fine. I'm okay with that. And that's, that's what I learned from that experience, Neil, was the fact that that's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, it's like in the military. You take that hill. I'm taking that hill. Right. Yeah. It makes it so... Uh, listening to all this and hearing the corporate world, are you happy that you're in this world that, you know, you were with CNBC and all these different things. I mean, you were, you had different shows business wise and then C started the C suite network. Are you happy now that you're kind of more and more driving the media, driving your whole uh, atmosphere than being in control of waiting on the mainstream media for things? Yes and no. Because at the same time, you're in the bleeding edge of it. So I've been, you know, I was bleeding before there was blood in it. So, you know, and, and at least on the OTT side, the over-the-top television, and the podcast network, which we've built into the world's largest podcast network now with C-Suite Radio, but at least for business. Uh, so the answer is yes. There's many days of jubilation. And, 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 you know, I can't wait to go to bed at night so I can hurry up and get going the next day. But there are a lot of days I'd like to sleep in, like it's a pain in the ass. We, we, I mean, we all have that. You know, when, you know, what's the life of an entrepreneur? One day we're excited, and then an hour later, like, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. Okay, this, is, this, this is the worst thing in the world. And, and so you just have to learn <clears throat> to overcome and understand that, you know, our job, you know, a lot of times people say this, uh, Neil, fail fast, fail yeah. fast, you know, bullshit. That, that sucks. Mm -hmm. Failing sucks, okay? Yeah. Our job is to win fast, yeah. all right? And, and to win as fast as we can because we don't have the resources, we don't have the money. That's the stuff I miss. When everybody says, hey, what do you miss about the big corporations? I always say, to be politically correct, I always say, well, I miss the people. I miss the people. But it's not really the people. What I really miss is the capital that I had available, 
the resources I had available, and I also missed the corporate jet. I missed that a great deal. I'm sure you missed the corporate jet. So you have your own corporate jet, right? Or you, that's not worth it. That's not in the budget. You're a corporate no, jet, you can't. Company, not you can't it's tough to justify a corporate jet or two or three of them as we had. Uh, it's tough to do that unless you're at a big, huge scale because it's a cost. So, but you can charter them. I chartered one yesterday. So you can. Okay. All right. So Dave's final question is, again, uh, involving caregiving. We're interested to see Jeff has been involved in caregiving. Go ahead, Dave, with your question. Yeah, so I'm just a normal guy who one day my wife had a headache after 22 years of marriage. We were married 45. And uh, we were in the emptiness phase of life. We're supposed to be enjoying life. Kids are gone. And she has a stroke, loses her speech, becomes paralyzed on one side. And we grieve for a couple of years. We almost break up. But then we, we, we hang in there and she reinvents herself and our love is rekindled. And now we travel all across the country talking to caregivers because I made so many mistakes. And I started the website caregiverdave.com to help caregivers stay alive because 30% of them die before their loved ones do. I like to say, if you're not a caregiver, just wait. You're either going to become one or you're going to need one. So my question to you, Jeff, is how has caregiving touched your life? Well, it happens all the time. I mean, when COVID broke out, my, my wife, who I've been married now for 38 years together, for two, for 40 years together. Congratulations. As a brother, thank you very much. Well, I know me. I wouldn't be married to me, so I'm very blessed. Okay. <laughs> So, um, but she has a brother who's mentally handicapped and when, and he's missing, he's only got a a piece of a functioning kidney. And when COVID hit, I said, we got to get, we got to get Todd. We got to bring him home. And that's what you do. You know, somebody asked me, why would you do that? I said, that's what you do. Why wouldn't you do that? So we bring Todd back in. Todd's been staying with us during the COVID experience. And, you know, is that an easy thing? Absolutely not. He's a, he's a curmudgeon. He's, he's, you know, he's only two years younger than me. He operates at about a 13-year-old level. Um, you can imagine what that's like given every day. It's just like being a parent. And, but that's what you do. That's what you have to do. And we're all going to be faced with that. I mean, look at the, the, the age tipping that's about to occur, right? And anyone that's, a, that's, you know, I've had parents that we've had to give care for and so forth and so on. It's just part of what you have to do. And that's, that's what you sign up. That's what, by the way, that's what families are supposed to be here for. You know, that's what yeah. that's all about. And it's, you know, that's your, some of us get a lottery ticket. Some of us get a ticket that's not quite the lottery, right? That's the name of the game. <laughs> yeah. And, but in, but our, our goal was to find out how to make it the lottery ticket. And, I'm, and I, congrats to you. Yeah. To, rekindle that find that make that happen um you know that's 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 pretty special and you got to look just like in covid right now you know when everybody's talking about the doom and gloom and all the stuff you got to look for opportunities in crisis always opportunity you know just like they're in you know if my if, if something happens to my wife someday and um or if something happens to me we got to look for those good things we got to look for those moments of inspiration motivation uh, even education. And then certainly we got to turn it into something that's a lot more positive. All right, Jeff, best place to connect with you and all those things. Uh, where can we go? Just look at, there's my email right there. Jeff at csuitenetwork.com, c-suitenetwork.com or Jeff at hazlet.com. If you look up C-Suite or you look up Hazlet, you're going to find me. You're awesome. And I a really good connection and unbelievable to know that one of your partners lives in Gibsonia so we'll have to make that connection and have a sit down for coffee I guess when they open we close the restaurants again can you believe that in Allegheny County so we're dealing with 
just outdoor dining. And we'll, someday we'll get back to normal. I have my hands in a lot of different things right now. And uh, After the election. great to create these relationships. And when it gets back to normal and you're back to New York, I definitely want to have lunch with you when I'm in New well, York. Or, or some scotch. Either way, I'm good. Either, either way. Okay. All scotch right. Good. Uh, so I appreciate you taking the time and thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Appreciate it, gentlemen. All right, guys. That was the Neil Haley Show. Take care, everyone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mike Velarde Show. And finally, we're going to do a, another camera thing, just like the debate, but we have Mike Velarde here. Mike's in his office, and Mike, you're ready. It's getting closer to August, isn't it? We're getting very close. It's getting closer, and things are starting to pick up. I'm, I've got some money coming in, which is good. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, the message is good. It's resounding well with people. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I mean, what I want to talk about today is what's going on, of course, with this Black Lives Matter thing. I think we, I shared with you last time that the death of, of George Floyd was based on, that was an intentional murder to cover up a conspiracy, you know, a, a counterfeit ring that uh, he was involved in. Exactly. And what did, and, and is there any more news to this fact or not? Well, I think the Secret Service really needs to get involved because they, 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 that's their jurisdiction. But it is not making national news, not being out there in the media. And I think the reason for it is the Democrats just see this as an opportunity to, um, to beat Trump. Okay. All right. So the, we have the, and I believe that, that there's just so many things. Coronavirus, you did not test positive, which is good news. Right, right, exactly. Uh, the cases just came up today, and this is where we have to look at the narrative. It's the, it's the highest number of cases. It just came out on CNN. I know what you're going to say, but I'm just checking the Facebook, that they just brought out a big number for cases with corona. What are we going to do about this, especially with schools coming out, all these different things? What are we going to do? as a country, not just a state, uh, to handle this virus in the levels that we're dealing with, especially if we keep hearing these numbers, testing keeps, uh, numbers keep going up. Well, I mean, it's, it's definitely like bio-warfare, in my opinion. I think China uh, intentionally did things that would take down the U.S. because the trade deals they signed cost them billions of dollars. And right now, China's having one of the worst years it's ever had because of it. I mean, President Trump was the first president that really stood up to China to get a fair deal for the United States. And they signed the deal, what, a couple of weeks before the coronavirus hit. And there was a clause in there that if there's a pandemic, they wouldn't have to buy everything they promised they would buy from the United States. So I think they knew about it. And I think that they purposely planned this. And I just think it's gotten out of hand where it's doing more damage maybe than originally thought would be possible. Yes. And so you're concerned, as you said last week, about the coronavirus. But are we going to have to shut down even more? I think we have to be careful. We need to, we need to stay open and keep the economy going. But we, we need to use wisdom and be precautious so that it, it stops spreading. Because my, my, my son works in a, a hospital where all they do is coronavirus patients right now. And 
you know, they bring in freezers for the dead bodies. I mean, it's pretty terrible because I have a client myself who has, um, and he's been in the hospitalized and it's, it's, it, you know, it gets into your lungs. It can do, it does severe damage. And it's obviously airborne, which is, which is how it's being spread. And that's why it's being spread so quickly. So we have to do, we have to take measures and precautions that would stop the spread of it. Social distancing is something that would probably, you know, probably be very effective if you don't get within that range, you know, Um, washing your hands, doing what's necessary, you know, face covering. I don't don't like the mask personally. I use a face shield when I have to um, because the shield will stop anything from coming or going and you can breathe. Okay. So um, it's, it's definitely like an all out assault. I mean, it's amazing to me that these liberal governors and mayors like de Blasio allow these demonstrations where everybody's on top of each other. There's thousands of people marching, and yet they can't, you can't have a church service. Right. I mean, the hypocrisy of it's ridiculous. Right, exactly. It's completely, and that's the problem. We have to have a fairness all the way down the line. I think we think the, the biggest issue we have to go look at is our commerce involving extra vacation activities, bars, restaurants, we have to be very uh, careful to yes. not go back to the normal. It has to be the right. new normal till we have a, a vaccine or herd immunity to that point in time. Right, exactly. Exactly, we do. Because, because uh, listen, I mean, I'm seeing this, I see it a little differently than other people, right? I, I was a law enforcement officer for 22 years. I know that this dorm investigation, if this goes forward, and it's only going forward if, if Trump gets a second term. If he does not get a second term, then the first thing Joe Biden's going to do is fire all U.S. attorneys day after he's inaugurated. That's the second that is going to be just like Bill Clinton, because he'll have to fire everybody so that it doesn't look like he's just killing this one investigation. Because what's going to happen is these guys, whether it be McCabe or Comey or Strutt or, or Lisa Page, doesn't matter. They're not going to want to spend 10 years in jail. And they're going to give up the politicians that that got them to okay this investigation. And that's gonna go right back to the White House. Obama, Biden. Wow. So this is big for each side, whoever wins, because it could be a really uh, a bloodbath either way. Exactly right, exactly right. Look, if Trump wins, the Supreme Court, he's, gonna, he's probably going to replace two more additional justices if he wins on the Supreme Court. Right? Ginsburg and the other guy who's 86 years old, they're both going to be done. Um, that would really turn the Supreme Court from a liberal court to a conservative court. And I say liberal court because John Roberts has been siding more with the liberals than with the conservatives. Which is surprising, but... John Roberts was a Bush appointee, right? Yeah, he was a Bush appointee, right? And right. He, he, he okayed the mandate in Obamacare. I mean, he's 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 been 
you know, he's been more to the left than he has been to the right. And that could be just developing relationships and trying to be buddy, buddy with people and deciding. Yeah. But it's, but what it's really doing, it's perverting justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, so yeah, so, we need more, we need more Sam Alitos. We need more Clarence Thomases. We need more people like that who are real jurors to be on that court. So give me an update uh, now, the campaign. that We yeah. talked about those different things. Let's go on the campaign. Okay, update on the campaign. I got a uh, Dr. Garone who's going to help me. We're going to do a fundraiser. We're doing it actually on the, uh, the 20, it looks like the 21st. 21st of July, just a couple of weeks out. Um, I'm going to try and raise $40,000. Give me the money I need to get on television, radio, do those spots, do those commercials. Um, I, I happen to uh, have a, a lady who's, you know, very wealthy. She just gave me a $2,800 check. She has friends that gave me $2,800 checks. So the money is, is really going to start to flow in um, this month. And that's going to make the difference between me winning and not winning. And new news on Laura Loomer that you can talk about. You talk about yeah. end qualifications. Yeah. Anything else come out? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Funny, funny thing. I did a, I did a show with the Hawk. Okay, he's a military guy. He was in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he's having everybody on tomorrow at five o'clock except Laura Loomer. She will not compete at all with us. And. Um, she, she, she just realizes she's the least qualified of the bunch. She has nothing to bring to the table other than the fact that she's Twitter famous. That's all she has. She's the most irresponsible person. I, I, she can't even, she won't even respond back to, to, to radio hosts, TV hosts like him, like, like myself, like us. Yes. When, when we tried to have her on the show. I mean, so she's, she's trying to simply, she, she's email blasting everybody, using the social media platforms, but I don't think it's enough to win because anybody that gets to know her or, or look at her credentials, that she, she's a hollow shell. It's not there. She doesn't have the background. She doesn't have the experience. She doesn't have the life experience. She's 27 years old, never, had, never held a job where she had to have any responsibility at all. Wow. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's sad. I mean, anybody can run for office. I get it. But you want to hire the person that's most qualified for the job. But in this case, it's me. Wow. And, and so what date is the election? Primary? It's August 18th. Okay. So you're getting very close. Very close. Yeah, we got a little thing here. See, August 18th. I don't see that or not. August 18th. Yep. We're getting close. Just just weeks away. Just weeks away. I and mean, tomorrow, I, I tomorrow a debate or life. interview? It's tomorrow a debate it's or a interview? Debate. No, it's a debate. Each each candidate um, gives gives the host a question, and he asks the other candidates about that question, what they do and how they do it. Very good. And where's the hawk on? Where can we check that out? Uh, he has a YouTube channel. Okay. He has his own YouTube channel. Yep. He's also on Pollard, doing a lot on Pollard. Awesome. Okay. Any other news for me, Mike, for, to, to tell your people? Well, the good, the, good, the good news is we're getting, we're getting support. We're getting funding. And um, 
I could always use, you know, anybody who wants to support me can go to Velarde 2020 and we need people um, and we need money. Those are the two things that it takes to win an election. And I just want everybody to know that I'm going to fight for this country. I'm going to fight for its values. I stand for freedom. Um, I stand for faith. I stand for family. Um, I'm not going to let these Marxists that, you know, these, these, these Marxists from these different groups like Antifa and Black Lives Matter take our country from us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stand and fight for our country. And that's what we need is people that's going to get in there and get in the fight to win the fight. Because if we let these people in, if, if Joe Biden were to be elected, it would be the end of the republic. Within two months, you would have $7 gasoline. He's already signed the new Green Deal. He, he, he is, in order to get Bernie supporters behind him, he has moved way to the left. Okay? He had a meeting with Bernie. He agreed. They say he signed a 100-page document, which includes a new Green Deal, oh my. Which, which would shut down our coal industry, which would stop the shelling of oil, which would make us energy dependent upon Saudi Arabia again. Okay? And you would see the price of gasoline jump absolutely jump to seven dollars a gallon wow all right so velarde 2020.com check out all your socials mike and next week you'll have another update for us what's going on yeah i'll probably have a guest on the show next week too all right sounds good mike all right right. take care and send me a text on where everyone can hear the show okay absolutely well we all check it out by going and Googling Neil Haley. But yes, I will definitely do that. That was the Mike Flaherty Show, everybody. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And you know, it's funny, blast from the past. I said I'm bringing the back band back together. Now, a lot of big news, uh, exciting news in the how the growth of the network's going and all these different things, especially uh, a possible comeback that I guess I hinted on, a show that's not aired yet with a personal trainer. But I'm excited to welcome the program, author Rob Oliver. Rob, thanks for calling, man. And how are you? Hey, Neil, I am doing fantastic. I, it's, you know, COVID is one of those things that it's making it a little bit difficult on us speakers. But in the meantime, I've got a lot of good stuff going on. And you got to focus not on what you can't do, but focus on what you can. And that's what makes it successful, man. All right, Rob. So let's kind of just jump right into specifically enough update me since 10 years ago, because I think that's a <laughs> the, the perfect uh, segue into the first conversation, because uh, I don't know if you ever did come on my show. I, so that's where, hey, it took 10 years. Well, we'll make sure we have you back more than that. But tell us, update us what's happened since 10 years ago. But I guess for people that, uh, you know, don't know who you are. Sure. Well, 10 years ago, you and I actually happened to be on the same podcast. And uh, that was how I kind of got my introduction to you. As a matter of fact, uh, a friend of mine recommended that she knew someone that knew you and said, you guys got to get together. And so I reached out to you. And so I don't know, it all got lost in the email and in the <laughs> shuffle, but it, it's amazing. We connected virtually 10 years ago and now kind of in person um, a little bit more. But 10 years ago, the reason why I was out podcasting and doing all that kind of stuff was because I had a book that came out. I, Listen, my backstory is this. When I was 21 years old, I had a body surfing injury in which I broke my neck. And so I'm paralyzed basically from the chest down. Oh, my. With limited, yeah, with limited to my arms and hands. And it's, it was one of those things that it really brought life into focus for me. 
and it made me understand, like, okay, who am I? And does the fact that I can't walk change my value or anything like that? So yeah. I, my first book was about the fact that, hey, life is a journey, and I am still walking on the journey of life. And following that, a friend of mine said to me, hey, listen, your book, it's real positive and everything, but does everything always work out for you? It seems like the book just says, in the end, it all works out. And I said, well, no, not actually. So I wrote my sequel, which was called Still Falling. Um, and the idea there is that a positive attitude and a good outlook don't prevent you from tipping your wheelchair over in the middle of the street. It, you know, life happens, and, and part of being human is that we are all experiencing limitations, we're all experiencing adversity, and sometimes we all fall down. That That's just what happens. And the, the next fun thing that kind of happened to me is I've been speaking, doing motivational speaking for you know over 20 years, but it's always been a side hustle. And about three years ago, I made the change and I'm now an entrepreneur, a solopreneur with my own speaking business. So that's kind of the, the quick update as to how I got from where we were 10 years ago to today. Oh, wow. So your own speaking business. And before COVID-19, it was going pretty well. Where did you speak? Yeah, so I had a couple different audiences that I really kind of niched into. One of them is the medical professionals. Because, listen, as a person with a disability, I go to the hospital a lot more than I would really like to. And as such, I've got that patient's perspective on how to deliver quality healthcare. And I'm able to articulate that and share that with medical organizations. So, you know, physicians and nurses associations, all that, getting in there and being able to tell them about how to improve what's going on, not from, not from another professional, but from the patient side of things. And I actually talk about it from the, the understanding that I am a professional in me. Like I know me, and what we need to do is you need to respect my knowledge of me, and I need to respect your knowledge of medicine, and we need to come up with a mutually agreeable plan of treatment because if it doesn't work for me, it's not going to be implemented. If it doesn't work for you, it's not going to be effective. So let's agree to work together and, and form a collaboration. And, um, another, yeah. yeah go, no, go I was going to say that's, that's great. Tell me about the other form. So... I do work with human resources groups as well to talk to them about employment and disability because listen, employment for people with disabilities is one of the, it's one of the major obstacles. When you look at the statistics, the statistics are that in the general population between the ages of 16 and 64, 66 point, I think 4% of the population is employed. When you look at the numbers for people with disabilities, the number is 19.2%. So there are a lot of people with disabilities that are not employed. When, you know, even when you look at the number of, or the percentages of people that are filing for unemployment, the number for people with disabilities is generally between five and 10% higher than the number for the rest of the population. So you're looking at a huge potential popula population of uh, employees. And then to talk a little bit about, okay, what are some of the obstacles that 
people are facing and what are the things that, you know, the myth that exists around hiring people with disabilities. Is it going to cost a lot? Is it going to, you know, just to kind of go over that. And then I do some anti-bullying stuff for schools. You know, this is one of those things. When I was a kid, I, I got bullied and I thought as a person with a disability, I really understand what it means to have somebody take the power away. And that's ultimately what is happening with bullying. So being able to take that, I wrote a kid's book called Who Me, I You. The idea is really to impress bystanders with the fact that you can make a difference. When you don't get involved, you actually are saying that it's okay. And then kind of last is, you know, just some general inspirational, motivational stuff to talk about the fact that everybody's got issues, everybody's got problems. And the question of are we going to succeed or how are we going to succeed comes from what we focus on. We can either focus on what we can't do and ultimately be miserable and sad, or we can focus on what we can do. And really a team, an effective team, comes from assembling people with a variety of skill sets to be able to accomplish whatever tasks in front of them. That's great. Those are two awesome things. But what happened once COVID hit? You were getting the chance to do lots of speaking, but now COVID. How are you kind of uh, shifted your focus? So it's been a really kind of frustrating experience. And so one of the things that I did was I went and I got certified as a virtual presenter. And I'm able to present from my home. I've got the whole set up with the HD camera and I've got the studio microphone, the whole nine yards. Uh, And so I'm able to do some virtual presenting. In the meantime, one of the things that I had wanted to do was start a podcast. And I thought, okay, now my my excuse of not having time to do it has really gone away because my calendar cleared up in a heartbeat. So I started a podcast. It's called Learning from Smart People. And my concept for the podcast is that Everybody is something, and I can learn from every single person that I meet if I'm willing to listen to them. So we have had everybody from a a guy who drives a gas truck to a psychologist to an actor to the the rent the chicken people. Like We've had a variety of people on, and I think that it's, it's really proven the point that you can learn from everybody. So that's that's one of the fun ventures that has come out of this and you know trying to trying to make do with what you can and that's 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 important and i guess the call to action now is uh how to make sure that you can get that message out through the podcast so tell us about have you done episodes yet for the podcast yeah so uh, today um we are releasing episode 25 i've been doing two a week and it, you know episode 25 was a little bit difficult for me because my guest that was going to be on the show didn't show up i was like okay what am i going to do and i thought you know 25 is a milestone so let's do something a little bit different we did a flip the script and i had my son come on as the guest host 